0: Everybody. Welcome to the second official episode of the Chipman Brothers Tangent Podcast. Yeah, I think that title's working, right? I like it a lot. Yeah, I do. I'm uh, Bob Chipman, sometimes known online as Movie Bob. Uh, with me is my brother, Chris. How sometimes you doing, Chris? Sometimes known as Taserface. <laughs> and uh, as, as Chris has just uh, indicated with a bit of a tease, we are uh, to, coming at this, going to talk about uh, the new film, uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, which we just saw. Uh,
1: volume still, volume yeah.
0: 2. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which in uh, and, and a, a increasingly rare uh, instance is a movie that we both got to see uh, rel- when it was relatively new. Uh, last week when it was a new movie.
1: Yes, we did.
0: Yes, we did. And, uh, you know, you have already, uh, if chances are if you uh, follow me online, you may have already seen my review of the film, uh, which was very positive. Uh, so I want to uh, start off and ask uh, Chris, Chris, what, uh, what what were your thoughts about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2?
1: Well, uh, first off, you know, um, the original Guardians of the Galaxy is, it's a bit of um, out of left field, right? I mean, even with the whole Marvel Universe thing, it it came around, you know, right, not shortly after the Avengers pulled off what they were building up to do, right, which is Yeah. Okay, we're going to release a bunch of movies with obscure-ish, but superheroes people have heard before, and we're going to attempt to tie them all in in one movie. And then they Mm -hmm. went, Mm -hmm. and with no movie buildup, decided, you know what, we're going to go balls to the wall, and we're going to introduce a bunch of characters no one has ever heard of, even some people that actually read the comics. This is obscure land, right? Yeah. And um, we're going to introduce the whole team at once in one movie. And, uh, oh, by the way, um, we're going to hire the guy who started working with Lloyd Kaufman and Troma to pull the whole thing off. Because if Bedfellows were ever meant to be, it's the Walt (laughs) Disney Company and the people that wrote the Toxic Avenger and Tromeo and Juliet. Yes. Right? Um, It just still boggles my mind. And the other thing that boggles my mind is that Lloyd Kaufman is in both, or the first one at least. And he's mm. a producer on both, which means he was in the room with Disney executives. Yeah, I mean, this man wrote a book where one of the titles of the chapter was "The Joy of Colostomy Bags." Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. What's that? Everything I ever needed to know about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger. Yes, that which is, is that is a fantastic is book. fucking book.
0: Yeah, um, but anyway, Co- so, co-written by James Gunn.
1: Yes, so Guardians and, uh, of the Led Galaxy too. I mean, I'm already a James Gunn fan, so. I knew going into it that this would be something different, and it's—I mean, dare I say, both of them. This one, probably more so, um, within the Marvel universe, is much edgier. You know what I mean? Um, Mm. There's there's some darkness, some nastiness, some some R-ratedness to the goings-on. You know, a little bit. These movies, which the other movies don't really have.
0: You know. Do you? Yeah, do you think maybe the series gets away with a little more because, like, they're, like, so many of the characters are aliens and, like, weird creatures?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like,
0: like, would you be able to show one of the ostensible good guys, essentially, you know, like, there's a sequence in this movie where three of the main characters between them jointly basically murder about, like, 300 people. Yes. Give or take. In, in slow motion, and it's played as alternately a really funny scene and also a really, holy shit, these these are like the coolest guys in the world kind of scene. And, you know, could could you, I don't know that you could like pull that off in the, like the Avengers or any of the others, because eventually you'd be saying, hey, wait a minute, why, why are they shooting people? Whereas here it's like, ah, you know, one of them is a raccoon, one of them is blue, and one of them is like a little baby tree thing, so it, it's like funny.
1: Well, right. I mean, it, it feels like it belongs in the late 70s, early 80s yeah. um, in, in the terms of, you know, this is a movie you could definitely watch with your with your family, like dads and kids. This is going to be a big one. And we can yeah. talk about that in a minute. But, mm-hmm. you know, our first introduction to Yondu, um, Michael Rooker's blue skin character is right. Basically post coitus in a yeah. brothel um, yeah. zipping his pants up.
0: Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? Disney. Now, this is a Disney film. Yeah. Right? This this, this mm-hmm. kind of fucks with my head. Um but before delving too deep, you know, with the tangents there, you know, you you asked what I thought of it. And I this movie unfolded in front of me and you know, people might argue, "Oh, it's a slighter movie. It's a smaller movie. It's like Iron Man 2. There's not much going on. It's just character building." But it was mm-hmm. fucking great character yeah. building. You know, it, it the, the movie had balls to be slow mm. and I don't mean slow as in boring I mean slow as in thematically um the musical score was used almost like in line with the feeling of the scene whereas in the first one it definitely gave you a feeling when they were using the music but this one almost sets the stage like you're supposed to be listening to the words of the song because they're telling you what's going on with the characters
0: yes you know yes and
1: mm. um it, I I just thought it was in my opinion, it's up there with some of the best sequels of all time.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I it, agree.
1: It's not as good as the first movie, but the first movie, there's not many things that are as good as it in the mm-hmm. genre that it's in. Um, uh, yeah. But this one is funnier than the first one. Mm-hmm. And this one is way deeper than the first yeah. one. Yeah. And it builds on character mythos and mythology that the mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. movie started. You know, it's not, like, all of a sudden, Iron Man's acting differently. Or all of a sudden, you know, um, the guy that was kind of edgy and didn't talk a lot in the first one now has this big arc. It's, you know, no, we're, we're looking for Peter Quill's dad, you know, in this one. And that was a big plot point in the background of the first movie. And now we have Gamora and Nebula, and they are recognizing more and more and more so that they were both abused by Thanos. You know, mm-hmm, and it's not mm-hmm. just that one yeah. of them was the fodder. And the other one was the one getting all the praise. You know, this was emotional and physical abuse in and of itself. Yeah. And you learn more about Drax and his family life um, through mm. him getting a lot more humor, but also a lot more depth. And, I mean, then you get the the third act, which I think we should go into at the end of the podcast. But, man.
0: Yeah. No, sh- but we can talk about spoilers. It's, well, it's no, been I was a, week. Say, a I was
1: yeah. just going to say, you know, we talked about, Colossal on our last mm-hmm. podcast and Colossal and now this are the last two movies I've seen in a theater mm-hmm. and Colossal made me feel feelings that I wasn't ready to feel um, yeah. watching a movie and it made me feel humor and funny and laughter at the same time that terrible things were happening on the screen and mm. here is a Marvel superhero sci-fi epic that it goes in a direction that, and it might not have affected everyone in the audience this way, but I literally had to take my 3d glasses off and not look at the screen because I was crying. And I'll admit that to the internet. I was crying Mm, for a good mm. five to 10 minutes Yeah. where this movie ends up going. And like I said before, it's all in the music and what's going on on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's, it's just brilliant when, when they got there and I want to talk about that more, but, you know set the stage i mean you, you know it might not be a perfect movie but it's yeah. my favorite i've seen this year wow yeah easy yeah. and and that colossal in this probably tied lego batman in the close second um mm. it, it, that that's my take um yeah. for a quick flip
0: well you know having uh, i saw it uh, earlier in the week uh before we saw it together on uh, the sunday of the weekend that it came out uh, and my initial impression was, you know, that it's it, i I would I would have said, Okay, this this is about as good as the first one, uh, but it feels less new because it is less new. Right. And like the the things that were initially like surprising in the first one, you know, where it's like, Hey, okay, we, we made a crazy space movie that's all set to, you know, nineteen seventies AM rock, you know? Right. Is uh you know, it, it's it's a, a mom rock action movie, which is just bizarre. But uh <laughs> But it's all kind of uh, kind of awesome. Uh, On seeing it the second time, my my impression is I think it's better than the first one. I do. Okay. See, I'll need to I, see yeah. it a second time. Yeah, I think the the second because as tends to happen with the uh, the the Marvel movies, I really do end up wishing that I can watch them twice before I review them, uh, which is not always possible because a lot of the time, and you know, it's a it's a function of of watching these movies now is like the first time with it. You know, because I know I have to do the review, I'm both watching for. okay, what do I think about this? What am I going to say? What am I going to write? And also, you know, let me look out for Marvel Universe business that is going to need to inform all of the news writing and reporting for the next, you know, couple months of my life. Right. So, you know, the second time, when I can just, like, watch what the movie's about, I'm thinking, like, wow, this is really strong uh, thematically. Uh, You know, which the, the first one is strong thematically, too. But in, in that one it's it's doing an easier thematic thing. You know, it's like, okay, it's about family. There you go. Well, and they, this one is much more specifically about other things and, and, you know, deeper things within that.
1: Well, the the first movie has to do an entire six movies worth of character introduction. Yeah. In one film, and they handle that by having each character and its arc play into the family theme. So they give you a story too. But it kind of takes to like the second or third act to kind of get to that delivery. And not lazily, but, you know, um, luckily, everyone's kind of tied together by the same villains, you know, in the first movie. So that that kind of helps. Um, mm. But the way I felt the whole time watching this, you know, you get um, like, for instance, all these movies get criticized and rightfully so a lot of the times for feeling like trailers for the next big team up move. You know, yeah. you've got, you know, um, uh, you know, the the second Thor movie is a big um, offender in that category. Um, but mm. when I saw the Avengers in the theater for the first time, it felt like nothing needed to come after it. It was building up to a lot, but everything gelled together into into a full theme and a full. OK, these guys are working together now and I see how they play. It felt very fresh none of the other movies leading up to The Avengers felt like The Avengers, you know? Mm, And mm. you get, like, an Iron Man 3, which is directly affected by The Avengers, but feels like its own thing. You know, where it goes character-wise, thematically, was very similar to where Guardians of the Galaxy 2 goes. And then the original Guardians of the Galaxy didn't feel like a trailer for anything else either. But it had to do all of the work they did in so many movies in one. And it takes, you know, again... Are you know, NC-17 rated, you know, body horror and disgusting, gross James Gunn, who apparently mm-hmm. is really, really good at writing characters. He's proven um, mm-hmm. really deep, emotional characters in that, in your space opera set to 1970s Mumrock. Yeah. So um, the second movie, it, it, it took that brand and just said, I'm going to tell you a story in that world. And it's a full story instead of, you know, trying to tie in with, you know, there was a mention of Infinity, Infinity Stones maybe once, right? Mm. And so I think the reactions of some people, especially the first reaction seeing it the first time of it maybe being a weaker story-wise movie, yeah. I think it's because they're not getting all that other filler that they
0: usually get, mm. right? Well, it's all, yeah, it's, it's also markedly different from the first one in that the first movie is very much a, a travel movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the first movie, one of the, the the cool things that is in it is... That How big the galaxy is. Yeah, it's constantly moving, they're constantly going, you know, like, almost every major scene takes place on a different planet and a new location and a whole different looking thing. Whereas this one, they basically go to, like, you know, two or three places, a couple of which we've already been to in terms of, like, the, the Ravager ship. And... Uh, yeah okay, so the the one place we've been to before is the Ravager ship, and the other one is like you know a little bit on the forest planet, a little bit with uh, the Sovereign, and a lot on uh, on ego.
1: Which yeah, in, in
0: yes, <laughs> yeah, m- and I m- like m- that m- we
1: got some Earth too. I mean, I know yeah, that I know that you know that's kind of the Avengers and everything else's territory, but I like yeah. that we got to go to Earth. But you know, you didn't see Iron Man flying around in the background.
0: Yeah, you know, which people are bitching about. Why? Which, which well, be, well because it's the same thing in in all of these movies is that for and I understand. Look, you know, I I still really enjoy the uh the the magic trick aspect of of this Marvel thing where, you know, they they go to, you know, a different place and it's like, "Oh, hey, you know, Captain America's also out there." Like I don't need to be reminded of it constantly, but I understand that some people like to be in there where, you know, there's a lot of business on the internet about. You know, how come we don't see Iron Man flying in to to fight the Blob? Well, I you know, bet I bet we would. The movie just doesn't choose to focus on that. Yeah. Well, and it also it has the plot uh, reason of you know it's in the middle of nowhere and the. Oh Avengers right, is his jurisdiction really
1: a Dairy Queen in East Bum Midwest? Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's supposed to be that. That's in Missouri, right? I think is so. That, I, that, I forget was... exactly. I I think I I feel like I feel like so because they they. It it feels very specific because I think that's where James Gunn is from. That makes sense. And the uh, you know the 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 AM radio type music that's on is is very specifically sort of you know songs that were big in the midpoint of the United States in the late nineteen seventies.
1: That someone like Peter Quill would call the best American song ever written.
0: Right. Yeah. This, and this... and have his dad <laughs> yeah.
1: slap him in the face with how. Wrong and gross that is when you think about the actual context of the song and it being your yeah. mom's
0: favorite song. That yeah, is just so, fucking brutal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a yeah. So let's so let's so this this is like the 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 spoiler business. So like let's for those of you who have not seen the movie but are listening anyway because you don't care about spoilers, uh, you know. Let let's you know the the original Guardians of the Galaxy. The, um, our ending involves Peter Quill, Star Lord, finding out that one of the reasons he was able to survive holding an infinity stone is that his father, whom he never knew, uh is some kind of outer space being. Yes. Yeah from right, the as, stars, his mother said. Yeah. His his mother who died of brain cancer, you know, would only ever tell people that the absentee father of her kid uh was uh, was a man from the stars. Uh you know, which it David Bowie Yeah. Watching these movies, you you, you sort of like know the minute that comes in. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, all right, that's, uh, that's going to be important later because nothing is in here. Nothing's in here by accident. These are all very expensive. (laughs) So, uh, so in the, the sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the, uh, the new information that we, we find is that Uh, after a lot of waiting of everyone on the internet spending a year going, oh, who is Star-Lord's father going to be, and thinking it's going to be every cosmic character in the Marvel Universe, uh, the answer turns out to be Ego, the Living Planet. Fuck yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, again, again for uh, this is uh, one of the things that's nifty about the adaptations of these movies, is these are really expensive movies being made out of stuff that was written for, like, 11-year-olds, and 90% of the the big, weird sci-fi ideas in this stuff are so big and weird because it was a bunch of guys trying to meet a deadline coming up with something that sounded new and interesting enough to shove on a cover. Right. So, you know, in the comics, Ego, the living planet, is literally just, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, like, a planet had a face and it, like, bit things? That, that's pretty much it for Ego the Living Planet in the comics. It's just weird and cool.
1: And let's uh, and just say film... right now,
0: yeah. B- before going into how
1: crazy and deep they get with all that, for everybody yeah. listening that wants to know, for anyone that's a Fantastic Four fan and wonders yeah. why their big baddie doesn't get to look exactly like you expect him to, don't worry. Ego the Living Planet is, at one point, a giant planet with a fucking face on it. Yeah, right. And it's, I was it's... applauding that
0: yeah I was I was really glad in this version they we mainly encounter ego uh, in the form of Kurt Russell intent uh, who- that's really important though yeah it's it's there this is like the this isn't like when they turn galactus into a cloud because they're afraid of it being weird. no he's you know, so they- much more
1: great and lovable and awesome and fucking awful because yeah. he's Kurt Russell showing up as a human.
0: Yeah right. Because the, the idea in this one is that Ego, you know, since he also made a... In, in the comics, Ego flies through space and, and goes to other galaxies and stuff. In this version, it is the living planet. It is a planet that is actually the the protective shell of like a, uh, a, a brain, basically, that is like a space creature that is obsessed with its own existence. Right. Uh, and it has created avatars of itself... That look like Kurt Russell because why wouldn't you? Fuck yeah, yeah. And, and yes, uh, Bob, he has a penis because <laughs> Drax really wanted to know. <laughs> so they they end up going to Ego introduces himself as as Peter's father informs him that he is a celestial, which is important because this is the first time anything in Marvel has actually called itself a celestial, right? Uh, which means God with a lowercase g, lowercase g, right? Small with, g, uh, yeah. That's the—this uh, the, is some real Jack Kirby business that we're getting into now. And uh, informs him that uh, that he is a god, that Peter is half-god, and that he would like him to join him uh, to, to be part of the living planet and uh, help fulfill some vaguely defined uh, business that he wants to take care of. And when you—they didn't hide the fact that they were going to meet Peter Quill's father and this is who it was going to be in the trailers— um, oh, but they hid what was going they, on. Yeah, well, because when you first see this, you're thinking, oh, okay, this is the logical place you go to for a sequel, because the first movie is all about, you know, Peter is an orphan, and he finds a family of his own with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, the, uh, the quote-unquote biological family comes back in, and the question is, is he going to be part of his... The you know, which family is more the family. It's 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 the logical next place to go with a sequel and these set of characters.
1: Well it, you know, it, it's also a multi-layered family, right? Because you with the Guardians of the Galaxy, you're leaving out the Ravagers. Yes, and that's yes. a very important part before explaining what Ego's big plan is. Yeah. Um, yeah. the is the, that e it turns out Ego fathered yeah. Peter Quill. Yeah. And because he has to return to his home planet to stay energized because that's where his whole energy source comes from. Right. Um, Basically returning to himself, right? Um, yeah. He sent Yondu and the Ravagers back to retrieve his son. Yeah. And you start thinking, and this is where the questioning comes in, well, why didn't you just come? And the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. answer initially yeah. is, I couldn't return to my wife or to your mother, because I knew I would stay and I had bigger business to attend to.
0: Right. And also he couldn't bear to see Meredith Quill dying. Right. On Earth and, and this is, is, and is, and this is, is what you're told to initially.
1: Yourself. And because Kurt Russell is so damn good at being yeah. this fun, loving dad. I mean, when he starts showing Peter the power that he shares, because he has the blood of a celestial in him. Yeah. They make a little orb and play catch with it. And yeah, I was a blubbering that's, that's mess something. already. Hmm. <laughs> You know what I yeah. mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> just over this, I you know, you have a movie with, with daddy issues or strong emotional ties with dads, like Real Steel, for instance, that movie me yeah. into a big mess too. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But, so you learn a lot more about Yondu. I mean, Michael Rooker is already fucking awesome, right? But yeah. in the first movie, he's kind of like the less bad, bad guy, right? Yeah. He's yeah. chasing after Peter, but they kind of have this, anti-hero, hero hero thing going on where he's not really that bad of a guy. He's just rough around the edges. right? Well, in this one, again, he's hired to chase him down, but you find Mm -hmm. out through all the interaction that, you know, you get the, well, why did we keep him instead of returning him to Ego? This was the whole reason why Ego never found Peter till now is because Yondu Mm -hmm. was hiding him from him. This is what we're told. And, it you know, Yondu always puts off the, oh, well, he was really small and easy to you know, steal stuff. Good for thieving. Good for thieving. But you realize as you're going that no, there's something Yondu actually gives a shit, right? Or else he would have killed, right? He, and and it turns out he got kicked out of being a ravager because of doing this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So he gave up his greatness for Peter. Right. So it's like, okay, leaving out this new guy. I mean, Yondu may have beat him and been kind of an ass, but, He's kind of his real dad, you know, mm. when it comes up to who
0: makes you who you are. You just, just for just, just for the point, because I, I don't want a million people dwelling on the correction here, is uh, that he, he he got kicked out for making a deal with Ego to go and pick up. Right. Uh, you know. Sorry. To to, to he, he got the idea here is that Ego has had more than one kid. Well, I, we haven't is, blown part, that part, part yet. But yes. Well, no, but it's it's that we they drop that before they drop anything else is that. You know, Yondu was hired by Ego to go out and find his uh, his offspring, and that the Ravagers, who are pirates, are generally not involved in that trade. Right, and uh, that he has been thrown out of being part of like the pirate guild for the most part. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, okay. Good correction. You know, so, well, no, just just you know, because that that's that that becomes uh, an an element later on is that he 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 did that but then he didn't bring peter to yandu whereas he had brought previous candidates yes yeah
1: and that's where things
0: get odd right so you know and again your last chance to turn back for the spoilers uh it turns out uh you know that this uh big kind of vaguely threatening sounding character is in fact the bad guy
1: yes and he uh, uh, yeah. he he shows peter in like a like uh stations of the cross by way of apple museum exhibit um (laughs) all of the cool things he's done so he shows him meeting peter's mother and it's a nice sweet thing he shows and then he says and i went out looking for life yeah and he says he found life and then later the reveal is i found life and it was
0: disappointing yeah (laughs) this is this is like i i I kind of had, like, the sense of, you know, knowing from the comics, Ego is a bad guy, and that this is... Yeah, but Russell made you want to like him so much. Yeah, I kind of thought, okay, you know, something else is going on here, but once that comes down, and, like, everything about this kind of clicked in, and I was like, oh, shit. You know, because, like, this, now I get... Because, like, again, in the comics, Ego is called Ego because it sounds cool. Yes. Right, whereas in the movie... They pretty much, you know, this seems like the easiest leap to make is that he, that he actually is like ego, like the embodiment of ego. He, he has literally created himself out of nothing. And he, when, what what's interesting is, is what he yeah. says.
1: He creates what he thinks sentient life would be yeah. before meeting sentient life. Yeah. And, and happens to make it look like Kurt Russell.
0: Yeah, which is kind and, of an
1: interesting little <laughs> theological thing in and of itself. So the whose yeah. image is what, and yeah. then when he actually ends up finding the real life that he embodied, and first yeah. recognizes that hey, I was right. This is how it would be. Then it's yeah. you, like you know what? No, that's not good enough for me.
0: Yeah. So this this is like, so we we what we discover is, and it's already been like you know drops the ego has. Uh, you know, in other places he's gone; that he's left these like plant things on the planet. Uh, you know, which seems like an, a benevolent gesture that he's like, "Oh, I'm going to leave this cool thing here." Right. And what we basically land on is that he's basically a, a a god as a colonial conqueror. Yes. You know, because he's gone out and you know went looking for. Wow, I am life. I need to find other life. Uh, when he finds life, he decides. Oh, he's better than it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, the the perfection that I made that is me is so much better than all of this other junk in the universe. So his big plan is that he is going to use his power to turn those plant things on all over the universe and just subsume everything into him. That, that right. he'll, he'll be Ego the universe instead of Ego just the one planet. And uh, he, he needs a little bit more power to do it, So he went out and seduced women on all the different planets to try and make more celestials. Yeah. And he's been, uh, as of late, collecting all of the offspring that he went out and made, and so far none of them also turned out to be celestials except for Peter, uh, which means they're all dead. Yeah. Brutally murdered. Or as he says it, they didn't feel a thing. Yeah, he's so so he's a mass murdering uh you know colonialist god. And uh oh and also he killed Meredith Quill.
1: Yeah, so let let's talk yeah. about that, right? So we're sitting there, yeah, right. you know, okay, and I'm I'm already dealing with the kick in the balls of seemingly pretty cool father figure um basically reveals that he's a prick. And yeah. um what's great about these movies, and this is exactly what we were talking about earlier is the Marvel menace, the nondescript you know, swarm of enemy villain menace, is in this movie in the form of the Sovereign. And even the Sovereign, right. which we can talk about after we go through Ego a little bit, because they're a cool villain in and of themselves, um, yeah. have a lot more going on under the surface, right? But they're the mm-hmm. quintessential, you know, this is the thing that we're going to have swarms of villains chasing you around for the movie. But Ego, again, has this big Marvel movie kind of nondescript. And my plan is to take over every planet with myself. And, you know, you get big special effects sequence of this orb of goo coming out of those plants and destroying everything. But what sets this one apart is exactly what you just said. Oh, and by the way, Peter, your mother, who I claim to have loved, you know, Brandy, she was a fine girl. What a good wife she would be. My life, my love, my lady is the sea. Never heard that song said in such a way that made it sound so disgusting as when Kurt Russell says that later (laughs) in the movie. But in and of itself, he has to tell Peter and to make sure I didn't go back and get seduced into being just one of these people that disappointed me. That tumor, yeah, I put that in her.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? And and, and my wife is
1: sitting next to me and she goes, watch, he's the one that did it. I'm like, there's no way. There's mm. no way they're gonna go that dark. They've already kicked yeah. us enough in the balls. Yeah, and they did.
0: Yeah, great I job. Kind, yeah, I kind of figured that that was their like once once it becomes clear that ego is bad, which you know the movie does does not play bullshit. He's he's act, he acts weird from the beginning. He does
1: act weird, but they keep, yeah. and and everyone's suspicious of him. But they they do a good job of kind of showing you the hand, but making you kind of almost hope because they're playing up the whole thing that Peter's other father figure Yondu was a dick to him. You know what I mean? So you kind of want him to have something
0: good, you know, Mm -hmm. but anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, as, as it comes to this, I kind of figured that, you know, once you, it's like, okay, all right. So in some way, he's also at fault for what happened to Peter's mother, uh, because otherwise, you know, what is going to be the thing that, uh, that turns Peter around to, to good. You know, right. That that gets around it. Like, it makes sense there, but the the idea that he did it himself, not like not necessarily because like out of malice, but because yes, I actually did fall in love and decided this thing that I need to do is more important. Right, I can't control myself. Work's more important than this. Right, yeah. <laughs> this is that that is that's like that, that is some Yeah. Yeah. That like that's it's it's dark, but it's also, you know, like makes it it makes perfect sense with what we know about this, uh, this, this character, you know? And, uh, so, so what I want to ask is, is Ego the, the, the top Marvel villain now? Yes. You think so? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well.
1: He's, he's the most, um, well-written, acted, and backed up with substance villain as a character. Yeah. Um, and it, it's because they gave him a human body. Right. I mean, it just yeah. being a big talking world. I mean, um, what's it called there? Uh, Dr. Strange did a really good job of just having a cu- couple of bonkers ass villains that right. I'm impressed. Yeah. They put on screen as well as they did. But mm-hmm. they're kind of secondary to how cool Dr. Strange is. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, right, that that, that, that movie is how all the stuff works. Yeah, that movie's gimmick is that could we really pull off the look and feel and weirdness of this fucker? Kind yeah. of like the first Guardians was, right? So the villains there, just, they're kind of more one-note Marvel villains that just happen to look and do really cool things. Mm-hmm. Ego, you know, we could have a whole movie with that guy. You know, or yeah. we could have anyway. But Peter right. beat the living fuck out of him.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's such a, in, in some ways, it's almost like an answer to a lot of the, some of the criticism that was had of, uh, you know, Star Lord as a character in the first movie, you know, that it's, we're kind of going back to, you know, this kind of, this, this guy who's made himself into a, uh, you know, this icon of this kind of like, you know, old fashioned, doesn't give a fuck, uh, masculinity. Right. Right, and then we meet up with Ego, who at first seems like, yeah, I am everything that is awesome about that, and then is also even more of everything that is absolutely toxic about that. And you know, uh, they choose to do this basically by by building, you know, the the these movies are all about their music, and uh, they build so much, like you said, of them about around the song Brandy, you know, which is a great song. Like they're right. It they're is really, a great like, song. Like, Brandy is a terrific song uh but you know it's also one of the hundreds of thousands of songs especially in the 70s that seem to exist in like soft rock music where the theme is the uh, the the muse the the guy musician writing the song making a really giving a really really romantic justification of why he can't settle down and why he is like an awesome loner that has to go wander the world and fuck everyone who gets close to me and you just you know it's it's basically a song that's all about how these musicians how because they are these awesome creative world traveling guys that it's okay that they pump and dump women you know that 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 it's 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 like, yeah, you know, look, you know, yes, I, I love you, I care about you, but, you know, I'm a man of the road or something. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of turns that whole thing around into this really dark criticism of, of you know, the, that whole attitude behind that by, you know, reminding you, yes, you know, ac- actually guys who have this kind of attitude about things, they're dicks.
1: You yeah. Know,
0: they, they might be cool, but they're dicks. Dicks.
1: Well, and you're right, and it, it, it's going to set up Peter as a character so much more because, uh, and, yeah. you know, not to spoil much else, but, you know, we can. We're talking about it. Peter's right, yeah. actual only basis as a father figure in Yondu mm-hmm. sacrifices himself for Peter to right. basically get him off of get him off of ego while ego's exploding. Right. So, right. Yeah. You know, and they don't really get a chance to talk. And that's what I think is great, right? This is going to define Peter Quill for the rest of the cinematic universe that he exists in because the person that made him capable of being so damn good at what he does, Mm -hmm. good or not, or just lucky is, is, but you know, he is Yondu, right? I mean, he's, he's a ravager with a heart. That's, that's what Yondu shows you that he is, but he was also his dad without really knowing his dad, right? Yeah. Peter's whole thing for the whole first movie is that he, you know, he'll screw anything that walks. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But now this whole movie is about him actually chasing um, Gamora. Right. And actually pulling yeah. it off. It would seem maybe by near the end. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. the movie doesn't have to give you like a romantic payoff. It's just words, words mm-hmm. and gestures and smiles. But, you know, it'll be really interesting to see where they go with the character because he loses both his dads as quickly as he had him, and he never even really knew that, you know, it, it took... Yondu had to give up his life and told everybody else how much he cared or at least people figured it out, right? And mm-hmm, then you've mm-hmm. got um, James Gunn's brother, Sean, um, given way more of a character, and this is Kraglin. Yes. Right, who is basically, you know... Yondu's son as well, you know, in that, you know, he's the only one that was willing to stand up for him um, during uh, during the whole taking over of the Ravagers um, by taser face. Yeah, (laughs) which is a great joke in and of itself. Um, Yeah. But, uh, you know, with Peter giving him the repaired um, dart at, at Yondu's funeral right at the end is just such a cool moment that these movies don't usually get. You know? Mm-hmm. Without it feeling forced. And and so, um it, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where they go with Peter and you know, with that, the movie, right, it's not just about Peter finding his dad. But, you know, we said with Gamora and Nebula, there's way more to that. The whole movie's about, you know, abusive family relationships and dealing yeah. with them. Right. Right? We've got Yandu and all the Ravagers basically, but him and Craiglin and, and then you've got um Drax emoting more about you know his wife and daughters or was it mm-hmm. was it daughters or daughter
0: uh, I, be- I believe da- I, I, I believe daughters I believe he has uh, the, the comic book Drax who's a completely different character has uh, at least two kids so I think it's wife and daughters
1: okay and you know yeah. hear, hearing him um, you know he talked a bit more but you know it's when the uh, Mantis you know, yes. the, the empath touches Mm. him and he's still got a smile on his face meaning that he's he's completely pushed this inside right yeah and just the way she reacts to you know hearing you know just feeling his feelings about that in that moment tells you so much and can i say all of the great comic relief a majority of it in this movie came from drax who should be the least funny
0: character (laughs) yeah Well, right? he's he yeah, but well, but Drex is fun though because it's you know a character with with no guile,
1: right? And it just it yeah. so many great jokes, and then uh, you know back to the family thing. We learn a lot more about Rocket, and Rocket, yes. you know he's he's on the outs with everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just his character in and of itself, right? And and God, finally a Hollywood movie that got the word trash panda in somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty fantastic. Internet memes mm-hmm. by way of weird sci-fi movie. Anyway, yeah. um, but, you know, his little bit with Yonda. we're the same person, or we're, we're the same being, we're the same. You know, yeah. it, like, you, you see a lot of that, you know, and, and this, it's, it's layered throughout, whereas the first movie, you know, yeah, there was a lot of character development, but this one, this one fleshed everybody out. It didn't leave mm-hmm. one person untouched and unadded to, even, even little adorable baby Groot. Yeah. Which was just wonderful. Having having a toddler that mm-hmm. the, the the opening credits of this movie have an entire, you know, your big, like, Avengers-style opening Marvel action scene to let you know they're still kicking ass. All mm-hmm. happens in the background out of focus while Baby Groot dances. Mm. And just the reaction to all of them, oh, hi, oh, hi, you know, like, stopping <laughs> during the, it, it just, it. I don't know if anyone else listening has a kid, but it was perfect. It was yeah. perfect.
0: Yeah, it uh, it was it was it was great. I like. Uh, I was I was worried whenever these things start adding like you know it becomes like a, a sequel. Okay, we need to add more characters. You know, you have to worry, okay, because eventually you'll find one that doesn't work, and they they really only add like one new person to the permanent cast in in Mantis. Right. Yeah, uh, Pom Clementif, I believe is is how you pronounce that name. Uh, I think she's French. She's great. Yeah, she's great because at first it seems like this is you know a way to to do Drax again, right? Because they because you know you know now that Drax is is part of this team and has been part of it for a couple of years now. He's 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 evolved a little bit as a character. Like they they aren't they're still keeping to the central gag that his species is incapable of processing um, metaphor. Right. You know they they take everything completely literally. And uh, Mantis, it's unclear if she's unable to process metaphor, but she's never had to. So she so it's it's another alien character whose shtick is that they uh, they don't process information the same way as uh, in, in humans we would call them both neuroatypical. yes, right you know uh, you know or or you know it, it's you know Drax in the first movie, it's been compared to a positive depiction of uh, of autism. I'm not sure how much uh, weight that carries, but it's interesting hmm. And uh, so they they pretty much they put these two characters in in what's a much weightier movie. Yes, you know, because even before we know that ego is bad, like the stuff with Peter is, you know, in the first movie, you know, he's like detached from stuff because he's because he's not dealing with shit and he's like the fun character in this one. He's doing nothing but deal with his shit and it's a lot heavier.
1: Right. Yeah. he. And yeah. That's what I mean. He doesn't really have as much of a chance to be fun in yeah. this one. The fun goes to, you know, you know, Yondu and Rocket running around having their Peter Quill moment. You know, yeah. killing everybody on the Ravager ship. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was I was really worried that they were going to run out their own joke with with the music because you know all of these things that, like in the first movie it was just such a novel thing you know whenever a movie decides you know what let's build the sonic wall of this movie around a particular genre or a particular set of songs and it it can just feel so odd yeah. like, uh like you know the the Disney Robin Hood yes. Yeah, you know what's odd about what's what's fun for for people who haven't seen the the Disney Robin Hood, you know what's what's interesting about that movie is it's a movie that ostensibly takes place in the Disney animal version of medieval England, but the character voices and all of the music are, uh, you know, southwestern United States bluegrass.
1: Yeah, it's really odd. It, and yeah, it, it's one but it of works. The big, it really does. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Actually, I love that one.
0: Yeah, it's it's and in this one it's the same thing as you know it's it's one thing to you know go with okay yeah seventies rock is fun but they keep it very specifically to sort of laid back you know none of it is is disco Uh, you know there's there's no uh, like Zeppelin is never on the soundtrack here because that's more of a jock rock thing right you know this this is very much you know what would be called because these are supposed to be songs that Peter Quill has inherited from his mother and they seem like you know, mom rock from, from that era. And that's, that's what
1: makes it work is that the soundtrack is a character. The soundtrack is we get to tap into Peter's mom. I mean, the opening of this movie is Peter's mom and ego before we know his ego listening Mm -hmm. to Brandy and driving around. Right. And that song is so happy during that sequence, you know, and it's cool that the songs can grow as a character throughout the movie. And that that's not easy to do. I mean, the song wasn't written for your damn movie.
0: You know what I mean?
1: And that's what's super cool is they feel like they were.
0: They
1: feel like the movie, like, actually, it's not that it just went. It's like when Tarantino uses music, you know? It doesn't sound like he just went out and grabbed it because he thought it sounded good in the scene. It sounds like he asked someone to write it for the movie. You know, like, I need this scene to feel like this, not the other way around. That's not an easy thing to pull off with already
0: existing music. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like, uh, would, would you ever have thought that, uh, you know, come a little bit closer should be a slow motion action scene song. Exactly. You know, that's, that's not a, that's not typically a song that you'd associate with, you know, this guy is the man kind of scene, but that's what it becomes here.
1: It's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a great moment. I, I thought this, you know, it's a, it's a hell, hell of a, I mean, we could probably do another hour and a half on this one, but I know. I think
1: time. Like you said, and it's not going to be a long period of time. I think a short period of time. I think people that saw this and, you know, said, okay, yeah, no, it was good. It it hit me emotionally in the right spots, but it was kind of like Iron Man 2, and we can just throw it to the side.
0: Yeah. I think when they see it on DVD, oh yeah, the movie's just going to explode. Oh, yeah. Even more so than the first one, like this, because this does have... This is another thing that, that even when I was only at about a three stars out of four about it, when first seeing it, a thing that I super appreciated about it was here is the sequel to a big movie in this big action franchise that in some ways goes bigger because like, you know, the, the finale of this one, they're they're fighting a giant planet. But it feels you know, they're, they're... so
1: much more personable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a more intimate movie, it's smaller, and, you know, that they take for the sequel say, you know what, we're confident enough in this that we don't need to go and change it up and visit, like, a dozen new planets and introduce a billion new characters. We've got our guys, we're gonna put them somewhere interesting and, and see what happens here. Right.
1: And, I mean, and yeah. the, the fact that they spent $200 million on that. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, and it does not feel like a waste. You know, I, mm. I cared so much about what was going on in this. And I didn't yeah. expect to. I expected to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, but you, the first movie felt organic.
0: You yes. know,
1: it felt it orga- like the idea was fully fleshed out. And it's really difficult to do that. again Because yeah. you're no matter what going to try to copy what worked in the first one and get rid of the stuff that didn't. And this movie instead took those characters and stuck them into something different. Mm-hmm. It didn't try to make the same movie, but it kept the same characters, you know, and um, like you said, we could talk forever. I want to add one cool thing. We were talking about the Sovereign, and we'll probably do a little spoilery things about the end, but yeah, I loved that they were so advanced that they flew drone ships, and it was like a freaking video game. And when yes. there was one of them left during the action sequences, they had all the other Sovereign there cheering them on like a little eight-year-old beating you know, Donkey Kong or Mortal Kombat for the first time in a arcade, and when he died, they all walk away with their arms folded. You suck. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I just the... loved that, I, and it had yeah. video game sounds. So you have these big, huge, like George Lucas Star Wars epic space battles with almost too going too much going on. But that's what yeah. I like about these is it's that's kind of part of the joke, right. you know? Because you it's mm-hmm. almost too much going on, but you can still enjoy it. But right. then they they break it through to like, you know, basically the space equivalent of a cathode ray tube TV like to see most of the scene with bleep bleep bleep, bleep, bleep bleep toolaloo mm-hmm. like playing over it. Well, and I'm like this is hilarious.
0: Like I was dying.
1: <laughs> I almost couldn't pay attention. I was laughing so hard at how silly that was.
0: But it worked. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's really uh it it is it is it's it's going to be so bizarre potentially. When because the next time we're gonna see the Guardians is they will be in uh, in Avengers Infinity War, right? Which you know you know on and on one level can't wait to see that it's it's gonna be so cool to see these characters uh, interacting with uh, with with the other Marvel characters, but it is going to probably be so tonally odd. Yes, you know, to, because these character, like James Gunn, is is involved. Obviously, you know, he's he's a big big shot in the Marvel movies now. He's planning out a bunch of the spinoffs and such. But well, he, it's he, going to he, be go ahead because so much of this, like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Is they took the name of the comic and that was pretty much it, you know. And the the script that they had that called for this arrangement of characters was from a writer who pitched it, and then uh James uh, Nicole Perlman. And uh, that's the pitch that got bought. And when they brought James Gunn on, he rewrote the pitch for he rewrote the movie further to his own sensibilities,
1: which and, are odd
0: and great, right? And like so, these characters more so than anything else in the Marvel movies because most of them are drastically rewritten from their comics origins the the team is the universe is they've pretty much allowed him to make a side project of the Marvel universe that is belongs only to him and in Avengers Infinity War we're going to see a certain amount of that presumably you know interpreted through a completely different set of filmmakers in uh, the uh, the oh shoot it's it's late and uh, I had a beer so I I am uh, blowing out the, the Russo, the Russo brothers. brothers. The Russo brothers who make the Avengers movies now, you know, who are equally awesome, but have such a different aesthetic and a different, you know, type of thing that they do. It's going to be so interesting to see these characters, you know, interpreted by other filmmakers. Well,
1: and, and it's an interesting point you made there about the Russo brothers, because remember that, you know, the original Avengers, mm-hmm. no one had ever done that before. And yeah. you, you get Joss Whedon to come in and do it, and that movie was very much a Joss Whedon movie. You know, it was, it was silly and light, and still heavy and dark when it needed to be. But it was essentially, you know, a I I dare to say, a kind of a juvenile, kind of a movie, right? It had it had some silliness and some lightheartedness to the jokes and some humor that, once you get the, um, Winter Soldier which was the mm. Russo's first tap into Marvel, you really don't go back from how dark that movie got. Yeah. You know? And so tonally, you aside from the other issues Joss was dealing with with Avengers 2, you know, you can tell every time that movie shifted into fit with that more, it wasn't comfortable for that sensibility. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I hope that these guys work with James and his characters well enough and you know the brand has established itself well enough that we don't get that tonal mismatch again you know every time avengers 2 was just guys sitting around in a room talking it was genius and every time it was trying to be more like the the winter soldier or worse off more just like you know the trailer for the next big avengers movie um Mm -hmm. it's where it lost me and it's not a bad movie by any stretch it's just you know it it feels like it wasn't as well put together, um, mm. and you know I I love Captain America: Civil War as well, but I still think Winter Soldier is a superior film to that. And um,
0: it's a really tough call between. They're really good, them. but I, because, I,
1: yeah. The the only cause... reason I I I put Civil War and again Civil War is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the only yeah. reason I put it less is that I wouldn't have called it a Captain America. Hmm. Mm. And and I don't mean that it's not; it's very much a Captain America movie. But it's and and they got a lot done. But that really should have been Avengers 2. I, like,
0: I don't see the thing is I, I I like I get that like it's definitely a better Avengers two than the real. It Avengers really 2 is. Was.
1: Maybe maybe they should have just been a doubleheader. You know what I mean? Because yeah, like You that need the Avengers story 3. of Avengers two for Captain America: Civil War. But mm-hmm. I mean, Captain America: Civil War is paced like The Dark Knight for Christ's sakes, right? Yeah, that, that movie is dark, and it's mm-hmm. it's heavy, and there's it's all story. There's a yeah. lot going on in that damn thing. And I just, I don't know how the guard, if, if the Russo's next Avengers movie is just like that, which I would imagine it would be, mm-hmm. I don't know how these guys fit. Like you just said, it's going to be weird. They're, yeah. they're a little too weird to fit in that universe, as weird as it sounds. Hmm. I don't know, just to me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm
0: excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and again, we don't know. We don't know if the Guardians are coming to Earth. We don't know if the Avengers are going to space. I assume the Avengers are going to space.
1: Well, if you're going to deal with Thanos, Thanos on Earth will be too much like the parts of Thor that didn't work, and we don't need that.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm. I love
1: Thor. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, we've seen Superman 2 before. Um, we don't need
0: much more of that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I hope that there's a little bit. Like, I hope that we, we seal it because the, the thing about the Earth stuff is, is especially since they, they go back to it again in Guardians, and they didn't need to show, uh, you know, the, the thing, you know, growing, you know, the, the big, the, the extension of ego growing up to, to cover. It. They didn't need to show that other than to plug the Dairy Queen, uh, tie in. Well, no, I,
1: I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I noticed when I did some reading about, um, it. They, one of the people stuck in that mess was Peter's um, grandfather, uncle, adoptive. Yeah, life, uh, the one the, the,
0: the, uncle. The yeah, the, the character also played by uh, Michael Rooker. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it does that, but I mean, like, it's it's not like like it's made very clear in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies that it's not like Peter is lost from Earth. He can go there whenever he wants other aliens in this universe clearly do because they have all of this Earth technology around for him to, you know, put his radios and stuff the Zune. together from. The yeah. Zune was great. You know, this this is a thing that happens. And, you know, and it ties in because on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. there are aliens coming and going all the time, and in the other Marvel movies it's implied that this happens. Right. But, you know, so... It's not like the, the idea that Ego is going to destroy the Earth is, like, a prominent thing in Peter's mind, and that's why we would go go back there. But the thing that the Earth stuff is good for is, I don't think if they had shown... I think if we had only seen Ego blowing up, you know, like, consuming other CGI planets full of people in goofy makeup, it it would have... It, it doesn't have quite the same level of threat, because you don't have the... It's like when you take a photo of something and you hold something else up for scale. Right. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, this, this, this is what this means... Here's your frame of reference for what's going on here, right? Right. No, and you kind of need that. Yeah. So I'm hoping that there is, you know, that if we're going to do the, you know, Thanos is a threat to everything thing, I hope there's a little bit of, you know, him being on. Presumably, doesn't he kind of have to be because at least one of the Infinity Stones is here? Well, Thanos, Thanos, I would
1: say is going to have to kill somebody that's close to one of the Avengers. I would imagine they're going to probably off somebody in um, Hawkeye's family. You think you think that would do it or uh, someone close to Iron Man, but they've already done two movies about killing members of Iron Man's family. So,
0: yeah, I... <laughs> yeah, It there there, there is a, a lot of that. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, presumably he has to come just because uh, one of the Infinity Stones is hanging around Doctor Strange's neck. Right. Right. So, so, so we have, to, if, if this is to be, if, if this is to be the movie where suddenly the, the magic rock things that only the fanboys care about are now the most important things in the world, then he has to at least come for that one. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like, Doctor Strange goes to other dimensions. He doesn't necessarily go to space.
1: Well, he also, he has to attack Earth or Thor doesn't give a shit. Right. Well, unless, unless he, it, unless he's yeah. attacking, you know, um, Thor's place, but, you know, it looks like that. Yeah, it looks like
0: that's going down in the next one. Yeah, it looks like Thor three basically has the the end of the world for them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's you know the the thoughts. Uh, do do you want to do anything anything else you want to say on Guardians before we talk about the trailers and such? Did
1: we want to talk through the end credit spoilers quickly? Oh, okay. Yeah. So since the, you the had end, to
0: explain most of them yeah. to me, and I'm pretty well versed in this stuff. So yeah, you know this this is something that I really like is that the the Marvel Universe bonus stuff in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is universally, it is all really, really, really deep cuts that only the most obsessively devoted of fanboys could ever possibly immediately know what it's supposed to be. And unlike some other Marvel movies that have uh, packed in things like that, um, you know, Thor 2, Iron Man 2 probably being the biggest defenders, it doesn't stop the movie to shove this stuff in and look at the audience like, eh, eh, you know what that is. It just shoves it all into the, as, as, you know, bloopers in the end credits, you know, and I think, and it doesn't let it hurt the main movie, which and, I think and is, this is what's a smart way to is, do it. It almost works as a matter
1: of subliminal advertising now, right? Because yeah, these images are going to be ingrained in the minds of people that have no fucking idea what they mean. Yeah. And they're, And that's what I think is great. I I mean, you could say everything you want about, oh, stupid, and it's a light version of what they do in the comic, and it's ruining what I already read. But but the fact that we watched an audience full of people at a Jordan's IMAX theater, I don't know if we (laughs) talked about this before, everyone, but around here, furniture stores are movie theaters.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a giant ass furniture emporium, and Two of uh, them. it has yeah, and it has one of the best laser IMAX theaters. It's in, in it's the area. great. Uh, and I, it's it, awesome.
1: And and so and you have to walk through the furniture store after, of course. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It, but uh, anyway, um, another local celebrity owned or um, at least they're the mascots establishment. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, we're watching it and nearly the entire theater stays for the credits on this right and on this one they're really not even given a bone of oh and look there's iron man oh or look yeah. at this no one that's recognizable to them is showing up here
0: yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and it's and and it, you know and to be fair it's not like the only thing that's interesting about these is the uh is the fact that it's a reference to the comics it's you know the things that they're teasing are interesting like uh if we want to get into them the first one is the the bad guys that they teased us with uh the sovereign you know the the gold skinned race of genetically superior people you know which is great by the way is that you have this this is like the even, like, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies have been really reticent to, like, show us the Klingons or something or to, right. to figure out what the what the aliens should look like. And Guardians of the Galaxy just says, no, fuck it, one of our main planets is people in gold body paint with gold wings. Why yep. the fuck not? You know, that's that's what we're dealing with. And so they, they, in order to distract everyone from, you know, making the obvious guess that Ego was the villain of our movie, uh, you know, they said that, no, Aisha... Uh, And uh, and the Sovereign are our bad guys. And in the comics, Aisha is the female counterpart to Adam Warlock, who was an absolutely massive character in, you know, the brief period of time that Jim Starlin was writing all the cosmic stuff at Marvel. Right. And Adam Warlock is... I I don't know that there's another way to describe him other than he's... He was like orange-skinned space Jesus. Right. Yeah, no, that's... that's basically
1: when you told when you reminded me who Adam Warlock was. It clicked and then I had to go back yeah. and
0: read and I'm like, "Yeah, no orange skin space Jesus, that makes sense." Yeah, he he was for a time like the main like he's the main good guy who eventually prevails over Thanos in the Infinity War comic. Right. Yeah, I because at the time they were printing that Adam Warlock was a huge character whereas if they do it now, I don't think the end of that of of those two movies is going to be Thanos is defeated by guy who you've never heard of that just showed up.
1: No, Adam Warlock is just. He, he, maybe they'll pull what they pulled with um, um, what's his head? Jewel head. Yeah. Um,
0: did you just say it? No, I didn't. What, what did you mean?
1: Um, uh, in Avengers, uh, Avengers. 2. Oh, the Vision. Yeah, maybe they'll pull, what the they pull with the Vision. You know what I mean, and have it be oh, okay. He's kind of a main baddie for a portion of the movie, and now he's helping you know, or something, but I I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, so our, our ending spoiler for this is that Aisha, having failed to destroy the Guardians of the Galaxy, is now obsessed with doing so and announces that she is making a new, you know, super person to fight them and she has a big cocoon and says she's going to call it Adam. So, you know, cue you know, half, and it gets this big musical sting, you know, cue half of the theater that has remained because everyone remains for the Marvel movies now going, what the fuck? Well, like one or two guys in the theater go, all right. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that guy. You know, so, uh, so that's cool. And, uh, you know, I was happy to see that. The other one is more of a nested, uh, twist because we, you know, we mentioned earlier in the that there's this whole subplot about why Yondu is not part of his crew of Ravagers are not part of the other Ravagers. And, uh, you know, our big sort of bittersweet ending is, you know, after Yondu has sacrificed himself, he gets his funeral, and the other Ravagers actually do show up, having now, you know, found out, oh, he actually tried to do the right thing at the end.
1: Yeah, that was, and, that was uh, the and... sequence that really kicked my ass, because Cat Stevens' father and son, man.
0: Jesus Christ! Yeah,
1: <laughs> I I knew that was on the soundtrack, and when I saw them yeah. kick that up, I'm just like,
0: "Yep, I'm not going to be able to deal with this." Yeah, no, that's uh there's there's a lot of personal connection to that for us, and I, yeah. I would assume for a, that's that's one of those like generational song. You know, that we 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 you and I are not the only guys in their 30s with complicated relationships with their father who who need to you know take a minute for that song. Right, but that I yeah. mean that. I do not know
1: the last time that has happened to me with a movie. Yeah. And so that, that, was, is, that it, was, it was tough. really impressive that it, it got me that much. Yeah. Well, also it's the, it's the usual
0: it because it's a funeral. It's a sort of, well, happy, and you just, sort of sad you, ending. I mean, you just
1: went through the whole ego thing and then yeah, you've got yeah. Yondu actually n- turning out to not
0: be a piece of shit. You right. know what I mean? And now yeah, he's dead. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and they're, they're setting off fireworks during it. It's a big deal. Yeah. We're we're all James Gunn's brother being really really happy when that shows up. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that guy's fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, he's good. It seems like they know he... they've they've actually got an asset in him. Is he still Rocket's stand-in and motion capture guy? He... Yeah, he's Rocket's stand-in and motion capture guy.
1: I think that's awesome. The the special features of the first movie of him running around
0: in the blue suit yeah. as Rocket were hysterical. Yes, they were. <laughs> uh... uh oh shoot. What was it? The... Oh yeah. So anyway, we uh so we learn this extra detail about Yandu being an exiled member of what are space pirates, basically because he runs into uh, two of his oldest, uh, two of his old associates that he recognizes in uh, the other captains of the Ravagers. Uh, and it's uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, an actor whose name I didn't catch, but uh, Sylvester Stallone as a guy with interesting shoulder pads and another guy whose like skin is made of crystals.
1: And let me say, for the maybe four minutes of screen time Sylvester Stallone has in this, when did he come back? Uh, like r- r- he No, no, no. I mean, I, I know when he's come back, but he seemed to walk onto the screen with a swagger and a voice that's like, oh, yeah, no, I've been doing these things still for, like, all the time. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, it didn't, it wasn't, like, a big deal. Like, oh, wow. It's it's like, no, Sylvester Stallone, it's, what, you didn't know that he's just always been in this universe?
0: Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Stallone's here. So seeing the, the weird shoulder pads on Stallone's character and then the crystal guy, you know, I got the sense of like, Oh, I know what's going on here. And uh uh then at the end, uh we have the other Ravager captains come back and we see a couple more, and we see uh, Ving Rames. Awesome. Ving Ving Rames is there wearing uh interesting uh you know, like uh uh, what, what do you call the, the the two strap belts that go across your chest? That's just like a harness? It, I
1: think that'd be the best way to call it is a harness. Yeah, he, he he's wearing like a, Looks a body harness. like he's harness. about to lift
0: a refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's just a big fucking guy. And uh, Michelle Yeoh is there. Yep. In a uh, cameo that supposedly went over gangbusters in China. Imagine that. Awesome. Uh, you know, a, a big actress to hire for what seems to be a cameo. And uh, then uh, in one of our our ending credit uh, post credit scenes, we get Sylvester Stallone uh, standing with the Crystal Guy again and talking about how you know hey you know isn't it uh, interesting that uh, you know the death of Yondu brings us back together and uh, cut back to a bunch of different characters including Ving Rhames and including Michelle Yeoh yeah so he so Ving, yeah Ving Rhames character named Charlie Twenty Seven by the way which is what I thought that's and, awesome uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, what's so it cuts back to, and there's all these other aliens hanging out, and there's a big lobster-looking guy, and Michelle Yeoh is there, and there's a uh, a, a talking robot helmet with the voice of Miley Cyrus, which is hilarious. Yeah, and uh, and and you know they say, hey, we we've got the band back together, let's go do some shit, and uh, what's happening there is the or- those are the original Guardians of the Galaxy uh, from the comics which is great. Was, uh, yeah the the set in the 70s, The Guardians of the Galaxy was a comic that took place in the future of the Marvel Universe and all of the characters were from different planets and uh, you know like Stallone is playing a character named Starhawk
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: So so that's a big deal uh, Ving Rhames is playing Charlie 27. Uh, that's Michael Rosenbaum as the the crystal guy um, uh, named Martin X. And uh, Alita, uh, Alita, who is uh, Michelle Yeoh, and uh, they are those are the original Guardians of the Galaxy, um, here existing as some other team that can uh, that can show up in future movies, and that's pretty great. Yeah. So uh, so that that's a lot of fun. Uh, Howard the Duck is in the movie again. Couple times. Yeah, just uh, just a few times, just hanging out doing stuff, which uh, which is great. I don't know if I necessarily want them to do another Howard the Duck. No, I you know, think I,
1: just him existing in this universe is awesome. I think if he comes along with the guardians and shows yeah. up from time to time, that'll be perfectly fine for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's just like if they if they do eventually want to do the thing where they like send Howard to Earth and do like a movie, okay, maybe fine, but I, I feel like the uh Howard the Duck was something that was never designed to be a movie and is now mainly known as a movie that wasn't good. Howard the Duck is like Poochie. Yeah. Yeah. When, whenever the, you try to
1: <laughs> make it into a character that exists like that, that's what you end up with. Right? Yeah. It, I mean, even I, this Howard the Duck, I like it and I like the jokes, but it you know, it's it's definitely been designed to just be there quick and be Howard the Duck. Right. They, they're yeah. not putting a lot of time into the look. You know, it, it looks like Howard the Duck, but, you know, it, right. it, it's not, you know, a fully rendered character existing in the rest of the movie you
0: know. Yeah, it, uh, it doesn't need to be, uh, it doesn't need to be a whole thing. It's, it's, it's enough to just have a fun, uh, cameo there. And, uh, oh, we also have a brief glimpse of Jeff Goldblum.
1: Yes, because, and, and that brings us into Thor 3.
0: Right, right, which is, uh, you know, the, the trailers that opened this, uh, were for, uh, Thor Ragnarok, which looks great.
1: Oh, it looks amazing, right down to the, like, 80s arcade game box font on yeah. the word Ragnarok, <laughs> and, uh, it just looks like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I like that the solution thus far to fixing the Thor movies after the second one is just not very good. It's just not. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's a, it's a two I, I like, and a half star. Movie. I kind
1: of like some of the third act of the second one. Yeah, the basically portal of the movie for the last right, like yeah. twenty minutes was a lot of fun. Yeah, but it's a lesser. It's definitely a lesser mm-hmm. film.
0: Oh, also, we forgot to mention Stan Lee in this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I jumped ahead. Stan Lee and Guardians, uh, which is uh, a cameo that there's so much in this movie that's a big deal. It almost seems to pass without notice that hey, the Watchers are in the movie now.
1: That was awesome, and Stan Lee is telling them about all of his various cameos.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, which is which is bizarre because it's. I mean, let's let's not beat around the bush here. Stan Lee is probably not going to be with us for much longer.
1: Which is a goddamn shame.
0: It is. Like, St- Stan Lee is 95 and, you know, or or close to that, um, you know, and uh, at at a certain point, the Marvel movies will probably outlive him at a certain point.
1: Hey, one hell of a swan song that guy's getting. That's all I got to say. Is.
0: It is. It is. And, um, you know, they've, like, he's dialed back his convention appearances and they've already confirmed that he's filmed, like, his next four Marvel cameos. Ah, uh, yes which, which should—I uh, I assume that those are for Infinity War and such. In this one, for a long time, there's been a fan theory that the way to unite all of the Marvel movies permanently uh, would be to say that Stan Lee's cameo character has actually been one guy and have it turn out to be one of the Watchers. Oh, all right. Pete, like, this has been a fan theory forever is that Stan Lee at some point in one of these movies will, like, duck down an alley and turn into Uatu the Watcher and fly away, and it'll be, oh, that's why there was this guy that looked the same in all of these movies. (laughs) Uh, In this one, he doesn't seem to be a Watcher himself. But he seems to be an informant to the Watchers. Well, he's definitely there listening very intently as he's telling them things, and the brief thing that we hear him say was, so anyway, in that time, I was a FedEx man. Which was, um... In uh, civil, at the end of civil war, yes, at the end of civil war with Tony. So he,
1: they're setting up the last time the Avengers were involved is the last right. thing he tells them.
0: Right. So and you know and then the Watchers pretty much depart to go watch something. You know, guess what they do? Right. <laughs> and <laughs> That's uh, good. And, right. So the implication here seems to be that Stan Lee is is if not a Watcher is some sort of cosmic being himself. Uh, who is able to, who is here uh, telling, because when they leave at the end, in the end credits, when we see them leave and he says, Hey guys, you were supposed to be my ride, you know, he kind of goes like, Guys, come on, I've got so many more stories to tell. Right. Which is bittersweet when you think that it's Stan Lee. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's not an accident. So the implication is, I suppose, that when they, whenever they get to the point where they say, Okay, this was the last Stan Lee cameo, the idea is that uh, he has been narrating all of this to the watchers the whole time which is cool yeah which 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 is really something i don't know why they didn't go and just look themselves but it's it's cool and it's cool that they're there because uh i'm not really sure how they're there because those are supposed to be one of the things that belong to the fantastic 4 that they're not allowed to use
1: interesting
0: yeah so that's maybe unusual. it's just
1: not in naming them is where the rules go in
0: it could be. It, th- these these do seem to be rules that are only enforced when they want them enforced. Yeah, and I mean, we all yeah. saw how that turned out, so... Yeah, and uh, I ex- I expect them to, uh, you know, maybe they'll be in the Infinity War movies. Maybe they'll be in Thor Ragnarok. That uh, that would seem to make a certain amount of sense. Which would be cool. Hey, that was a cool um, switch back. Yeah, well, Ragnarok, look, it looks great. You know, uh, I like that the fix to the Thor movies seems to be... You know, like, uh, for a while, Chris Hemsworth was talking about how, how he wasn't nuts about how the second movie turned out either, and he wished he could be funnier in his in those movies, and that he wished that his movies could be like Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, looks and it like looks what like they're they, going for. Yeah, it looks like they've listened to him by saying, okay, the next Thor movie is also Guardians of the Galaxy again. And, I mean, the uh, it who's directing
1: it? The guy that did um, ta- taika what we doing the shadows? Yes. Oh, that was fan-fucking-tastic.
0: Ta- ta- taika Waititi.
1: Everybody re- watching this, we won't talk about that movie right now. But just see yeah. what we do in the shadows. You missed it, and you shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but his little Thor, um, the 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 Thor gets a job, you know, like a, <laughs> or yeah. lives in that guy's apartment. A little right, yeah. fan movie was great. Or a little that short. Was awesome. That that was an awesome and, and that was all about humor. You know, it was all yes. about making this character funny. Almost like, um, it, almost like the tick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I liked that sense of humor and yeah. the. Uh, well, we know each other from work. Been yeah. with the Hulk. <laughs> he's is a, just, he's a just friend from work. Perfect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, it yes. Looked, <laughs> it looked and it's good because like that's you know you're you're having your actor uh, imitate the reaction of the audience. It's like oh hey the Hulk. We're always glad when the Hulk is here. Right. Everyone likes the Hulk. Yes, and uh, you know that this is you know that this get that this is going to be a big movie. You know Jeff Goldblum is in it, and it looks great. And Jeff Goldblum is in the next Jurassic World movie too. Yeah, oh, hell yeah! I'm I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I
1: can't wait. Oh, it, it I, looks I, fantastic. Yeah, and, love, and I'm, yeah, hop, I, I'm like, hoping it's the best of the three. I mean, uh, Kenneth Branagh's bonkers ass original Thor needed to be the way that it was. I I love that movie. I know a lot I of don't... people don't. It just it. It was the first one of these to really... go. I mean, it was before Guardians, right? It was oh, the yeah. first one of these to go, there's some batshit stuff going on in this universe. And, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. thought that was great.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think the, the first Thor is fun. Thor, the thing is, the Thor 2 seemed to think that the problem with Thor 1 was that it wasn't dark enough. Yeah. And that's a big mistake. Yeah. You, no, that's... At a certain point, you have to acknowledge that you're making, like, the first Thor is goofy, and, you know, I, I remember that they they changed the screening date uh, for, for Thor, the original. Uh, it was originally going to screen for press here in Boston at night, uh, mm. and then they moved it to a Saturday morning uh, to be a family screening, and then, uh, you know, seeing it. I kind of thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense, because unlike every other superhero movie coming out at the time, this one looked at the movie about the space Viking who needs to learn how to be a good boy so he can have his magic hammer back. is a kid's movie. Yep. Yeah. So, and this new one looks very self-consciously like a a throwback to, uh, you know, Flash Gordon and business like that, which is what it should be. Well, they should have recognized from the Avengers... Yeah, that that handling of
1: Thor and Loki was exactly how those characters should be handled. Exactly. You know what I mean? They were silly when they needed to be. I mean, Iron Man's a little bit. What is this Shakespeare in the park? It, it, It was it was a perfect little gag because those were the bits of the original Thor that wouldn't work in the other Marvel movies was the bit that you were basically watching, you know, a Shakespearean epic done by way of, you know, space Vikings. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and that needed to be done in the first Thor movie. You know, it needed it to did. be that way. But you it can't did. really have the send up be more of that. Yeah, <laughs> you need to uh, yeah. dial it back and it, like we're saying with the Guardians, how are they gonna how are they gonna saturate that into the rest of the Marvel world? Mm. They did by showing us Earth they did some good work there, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, I want to I do I want, I want to see the seven and I want to, you know, see all the different interactions uh, s- supposedly, you know, D- Dave Bautista is the only person in the Marvel universe who they don't seem to tell him to shut up whenever he starts talking about the next movie. Nice. So he's, so he's already said, so he's like, oh yeah, I've done scenes with Iron Man. It's great. Uh, awesome. So cool. You know, good, good on him. That, that dude rocks. I, uh, I, he's I, he is the I, surprisingly, um, just one of the
1: best things to come out of Guardians. And there's a lot of great things.
0: Yeah. Well, he's such a great center for any of the scenes he's in, where he's just like this stone-faced guy who is either really excited or not moving at all, right? You know? And and they, you can just give him any kind of deadpan line, and he pulls it off. Just to, like, hurts you know, my nipples. This, yeah, this gross bug lady is my new friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it's just a description of a scene, but but it's good. Or you know, just little, just a little stuff off to the side. You know, Peter's says, "Like, geez, Drax, you're like an old woman." And he goes, through, "He's like because I am wise." which which on the one hand is it's a perfect drax line because why would because he's genuinely wondering how he's like an old woman but i like the fact that you know it's it's a nice touch that whatever little we know about him his people culturally is that when someone tells him you're like an old woman the first place he goes to is that this must be a compliment because old women are wise
1: (laughs) my father would tell the stories of impregnating my mother every year on the winter solstice <laughs> what is this weird you earth yeah. people have so many hang ups
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, it's 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 a nice business and and he has a him him uh, you know ho- holding mantis above the, the dirt when when the planet's trying to eat them is an, like a a hell of a hero shot
1: oh yeah and and yeah, good good the on them for using the good old fashioned uh, person coming out of a grave like you know rock practical effect there yeah it, yeah, it looked awesome. I, yeah, I love that, still that you know, we talked too much about, but it just yeah. This has a lot of big CGI stuff, but a lot of the cool stuff was practical in this too, and I I loved it for it. Yeah,
0: of course I have issues. That's my damn father. <laughs> <laughs> so we were uh, just it's... talking about Thor, and so what else yeah. did we have? We've got um, we've oh, got Spider-Man Marvel's first coming. self-owned Spider-Man movie. Yep, made uh, supposedly in collaboration with Sony, but like, I have a feeling we won't really know how this movie got made until a couple of years later. But the the uh, the general sense on this one is that Marvel has agreed to help Sony with the Spider-Man movies by making the movie for them and letting Sony release it. Uh, and then we don't know how much of a veto power Sony has over anything in this movie or the rest of the use of Spider-Man. Right. But okay. he'll be in, he'll he's. But this, this movie exists, it's in the Marvel universe. It, it seems like, like you know, the, the most cynical version you could think of of it would be Sony asking Marvel, what do we have to do to please you so that Iron Man can be in our movie so that people will come see it? Yeah. And it pretty much no. looks like the movie.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, and it doesn't look bad.
0: No, um, it doesn't look bad.
1: It just, you know, we've talked about this before. I just, even if it's a pro a property I like, right? The Marvel movies, I haven't gotten cynical enough yet to say that they all feel like remakes of each other, even though they do tread familiar territory. Yeah. But do we really need more Spider-Man? I like that Marvel has Spider-Man and they can put him in the MCU, but you know what? I kind of almost just want what they did in Civil War to be it. And now in the next movie Spider-Man's just a character in it. You know, I don't yeah. think we need another Spider-Man origin
0: movie. Well, it's not an origin movie, though. Yeah, but it looks like they're doing some of it. You know, well, what no, I it's the, they—they've uh, apparently it's an open question if they'll even reference the Uncle Ben thing. It, you know, it, and that, that to me, maybe that's good, but it's like then, yeah.
1: then why do I need a home? I mean, okay, Spider-Man: Homecoming, cool, but everything with the Vulture, which fucking awesome, Michael Keaton. I love everything yeah. I see him doing and saying but it all just looks like the Doctor Octopus stuff from the second movie. Yeah. You
0: know, I mean uh, and, yeah. and
1: and you know, you can talk about other franchises that have handled this differently, okay, but Batman Begins and The Dark Knight have villains yeah. and Batman. But both movies have Batman dealing with very different things yes. with these villains. Spider-Man can do more than just, you know, beat up on an upset guy that's hurting New York. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I I, get it that, you know, they're trying to make it feel familiar, but yeah, it just, it feels like everything that Raimi already did better in Spider-Man 2.
0: That I think, you know, and again, I, at a certain point, I think that much like with the Superman movies, eventually, uh, I think you kind of, especially if you are someone who, you know, we ourselves are getting up there in years, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, huh. of, of especially and not just, you know, like, uh, you know, like, oh, I, I don't I don't want to do the thing where it's like, oh, we're in our 30s. We're so old. Ha ha ha. But... No, but it's no, true. It's... I
1: mean, we're now watching the third iteration of the current generation of Spider-Man.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that much as at a certain point, every the, the only way to move forward with with Superman movies and there hasn't really been a good new Superman movie to, to test this theory with. But eventually, uh, okay. you just kind
1: of yeah. Superman Returns is just the lesser Christopher Reeve Superman movie. So yeah, okay, I'll give you that.
0: Yeah, I mean no. Superman Returns has has raised a lot in my estimations, but like in I fucking love that movie. But I'm 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 at the low end of the curve for that. You know, it's it's good, but it's it's also it's very much a tribute film to those other. movies. Yes, yes, and 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 I like that about it. But if there. If eventually, since the the current DC universe seems to be a lost cause, but if eventually we are to have more Superman movies, and and realistically we will, eventually, you know, not just the people who grew up with them, but the culture as a whole kind of has to look at the Christopher Reeve Superman movies the way that biblical movies look at Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments and say, yes, okay, those are frozen in amber, perfect representatives of their time, we're never going to do that again. You know, right. like, like, that, like, you're, you're just gonna have to accept that future versions of those stories are going to do something different, and they'll probably never be as iconic as that, but, you know, maybe something interesting will happen with them. I feel like that's what, you know, I'm kinda have to tell myself to do about Spider-Man, because, like, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero ever. It's my favorite superhero comic. I, I love, I love Spider-Man forever. And the the Sam Rainey Spider-Man movies, the first two, I genuinely believe, are the best superhero movies outside of the Christopher Reeve Superman. I agree. You know, they're they're just, like, I love the Marvel Universe movies. They're all great. Not one of them is as good as Spider-Man 2.
1: Well, and remember, Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 1 were made with nothing to base it on, other than really this Christopher Reeve Superman. We're either going to be like those, or we're going to be like the Tim Burton Batman movies. There wasn't really much else to do. Right, and instead, it was its own thing, you know, yeah. and and the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels the most like those movies.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, you and, know, the shtick
1: they're going yeah. for feels the most like the tone that Raimi was going for. Now, yeah. the fact that they are finally casting Spider-Man at the right age, I like a yeah. lot.
0: Yeah, it's I I I feel like. I'm gonna just eventually need to just say okay. I know going in, no, like the the previous two Spider-Man movies, the the Amazing Spider-Man ones, they were cynically made, and I hated that they didn't let Sam Raimi make Spider-Man Four in order to do a shitty reboot. That was yeah, you know, but Run by he idiots. He
1: sabotaged his own series because he was so pissed. Right, right. But and I, Sp- I wish Spider-Man that... Three is still not a terrible movie, but it's a very yeah. angry man
0: making yeah. that film. Right, right. I, I look at this and the I, I have a feeling I'm I trying to engage the, the new Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming on its own. And where I think I'm having an, an issue with some of it is what I like about where they're going with it is like the, the first, I firmly believe the best trailer for this has been the very first one that they did where there was almost no Spider-Man, the, the first domestic one, had almost no Spider Man stuff, and it was mostly about how this is a contemporary millennial high school movie yes. where the guy happens to be Spider Man. They got that, that very like. much right. Yeah, I, I I like that, and more importantly I want that because, you know, if if there is an answer to why do we need a Spider Man in the Marvel universe, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far, all of the characters are for the most part, the main characters are all different variations of, uh, you know, middle-aged white dads. Right. And and that's you know not, not necessarily wrong with that. You know that they're they're good characters, but you know there hasn't been a teenage hero, which is a whole other thing and a whole other thing to explore. And it excites me that they seem to be deliberately looking at this and saying, you know. I love the Sam Raimi movies dearly, and I love the fact that Sam Raimi is, you know, sensibility wise from, you know, a similar generation to us, and went and made not only a Spider-Man movie that was nostalgic and high schoolish, but was built around the 60s sensibilities of that character, and the 80s and 70s sensibilities of himself as a young man. I... I think Star-Lord is enough in the Marvel Universe of a representation of guys who miss the 80s. Oh yeah, yeah, no, good and, point. <laughs> yeah, and and I hope that, uh, you know, that they look at Spider-Man and that they don't make, as much as the Marvel, I love that the Marvel Cinematic Universe enthusiastically kisses the ass of Silver Age and Bronze Age comic fans. My hope is that I am completely unable to relate to Spider-Man. It, no, it, you it, know, like, you make not, a not really good point. Not, not in terms of a character, like, I hope I can, like, relate to the topic of it, but I hope that, you know, I hate the music score in this movie, you know, but that people who are, like, you know, 12 and 13 years old now, it's perfectly contemporary to them.
1: You're, you you know, know and, you hit something I wasn't even thinking about. You're 100% right. Because Raimi's vision of Peter Parker and the things that he deals with on a daily basis didn't seem to exist in the late 1990s time frame the movie was being made in. Yeah. It was a a comic book fantasy time capsule version of, this is what boys and girls react to each other like, and this is what school is like. You know what I mean? Um, Whereas this, you're right, it it looks like they're just sticking it into Peter Parker is going to school in high school right now.
0: Yeah, well, because... I think Spider-Man is one of the comparatively few heroes that you really do have to if you're going to do him in the proper way of like the 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 teenager like being an adult doesn't change that much generation to generation you know you eventually you you know Especially if like Peter Parker you're uh you know, a middle class white guy. You know, your your life is gonna be pretty similar generation to generation. Whereas life of a teenager is very different. Night and day. You know, my our teenage life was not our father's teenage life and and whatnot. And, you know, uh I hope that this movie, you know, gives a younger generation a Spider-Man that belongs to them. You know, that being said, the trailers that have come out after that first one that was aimed so much at, you know, look, look at Peter's friends. Look at his decidedly not all white because that's not New York anymore. High school and social circle. You know, right. look at the you know, look look at this, you know, Radio Disney music that we've got on the soundtrack. You know, that was very encouraging. The po the trailers post that have mostly been focused on um, you know, Iron Man is also in the movie. Reminding us that it's a Marvel MCU movie, yeah, and at, yeah, at reminding us that hey, here's your here's one more chance for you to see Robert Downey Jr. before even he gets too expensive for this, right? And uh, and also here are you know big you know prevised action sequences of Spider Man holding things together with webs and so on. It's like I'm sure it'll all look very good, but it looks mostly like stuff that I've seen. That, that's exactly my reaction and, and, and
1: right. that's a positive thing in that I really like how Spider-Man yeah. looks on screen. So seeing him do more Spider-Man-y stuff, I'm, I'm on board for. Right. Um, but, but what is it What is it really going to do that's new? And that's, right. that's the argument that I think people that are getting cynical about the Marvel movies, which I'm not one of them yet, yeah. but are saying is that why go and see them when it's just the same movie with a different character in it? Yeah. And I worry that You know, the the Amazing Spider-Man was too soon of a reboot anyway. Yeah. And I would have rather had this not have to happen as another reboot. And, you know, you really can't, Tobey Maguire's too fucking old to be playing the character when they
0: made it the first time. So he's definitely too old now. But... um... If I had it to do, if this was my decision, if, if I was Kevin Feige and I wanted to get, like, the biggest pop, that like you know that would be what what I would want and also like wanted to like really get a big reaction from the audience. I would have just rehired Tobey Maguire.
1: Yeah, and just I really like I said, have... and and don't even do its own movie. Just have the end of Civil War. Have Tobey Maguire show up as fucking Spider Man, and now yeah. Spider Man's in the MCU.
0: And you know retroactively make the the Raimi movies the the, the first ones uh, right. of this cycle. Yeah. Right, and I, then like, and yeah. then
1: make us a Spider Man four if you want at some point. But, yeah. you know, and again, the kid, I think I loved him in Civil War. You know yeah. what I mean? He he did what everybody didn't like about the Raimi movies. And he had the cynical, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Man that makes fun of you and makes quirky yeah. jokes.
0: All of that was spot on. It's right. just why? Yeah. And well, the, the thing of it is, is that these the, the trailers that they've been showing are mainly aimed at a multiplex audience and aimed at. Telling people, hey, it's Spider-Man, Marvel style with big action, which is cool. But like, I've seen the big action. What I want, what I'm curious about, is like all of these is this will live and die as to what the context of those scenes are. Yes. You know, like if if the like like the Vulture, you know, I I, I like the fact that the Vulture suit has like the neck frill and has Vulture feet. Yes. Like and I'm. He... I'm, I'm
1: he very yeah. well could end up being, um, take the cake from ego as our best villain because he damn sure sounds menacing. Yeah. The and words it looks from cool. the trailers yeah. that he says are fucking scary. And seeing Michael Keaton be evil is awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, it's Spider Man versus Batman. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> cool Spider Man <laughs>
1: versus Batman with carrying some of Birdman's problems.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm. I, I kind of, and I do like the meta level of Michael Keaton doing a movie that, you know, this sort of super pretentious movie that's all about how shitty the blockbuster superhero thing is, and then doing, you know, a version of that, like, afterwards. It's I think it's great. fucking great. Yeah, that's like, they, they know what they're doing with that kind of fun metacasting. You know, if he is an interesting bad guy, if he's got something, if there's some kind of cool novel thing about why he's the vulture and what he's getting up to is that then we've got a different story right now you know uh we don't know and like the trailers for the sam raimi movies were all action but you also knew that they were keeping right to the comics so whenever the green goblin showed up in that one it's like oh well i know what the green goblins deal is so i know what the context is here this is clearly a different version of the vulture yeah so so i don't really know what his deal is um they're playing really coy as to who all of peter's friends are. Like, everyone just kind of assumes that Zendaya is playing Mary Jane, but no right. one is saying so, which is, you know, novel, since, uh, you know, this would, if, if that's who she's playing, she's the first, uh, you know, non-white woman to play Mary Jane, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, the the big Asian kid in the movie, for example, is Ned Leeds, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, who's cool, like cool, a big square-jawed cool. square, square to a white guy in, in the comics. So, you know, this is all novel, and I want to see that, I want to see how they'll eventually deal with the Daily Bugle. Right, is it going to be like, an internet uh,
1: magazine or some shit now? Or I
0: don't know. Like even in the Sam Raimi movies, you know, we're we're kind of pushing it that like a a small New York newspaper would still be that kind of powerful media wise in that movie. Yeah, no, true, <laughs> a- true. At true that statement. point in at that point in history, but uh, you know, I hope so. And also, you know, they have a ready made excuse in they're just never gonna cast that role better than J.K. Simmons, and they shouldn't even try.
1: Why don't they just cast him again?
0: I mean, I'd they could. I'd be fine with it. Yeah, well, we'll see. That's that's down the road anyway. You know, they're like, they're doing him as a pretty young kid in this. I mean, like, the the title seems to have a double meaning, right? Like, it's Homecoming in that, hey, he's in the Marvel Universe, aren't we being funny? But, like, when it turns out that the movie is actually all about him trying to get to the Homecoming dance and having to fight the Vulture... Like, that's not gonna be a surprise. Exactly. To, to, uh, to, to me. Like, that, exactly. that seems to be the point of the title. But, you know, it looks, uh, it looks pretty cool. And I, I hope it's good. But, yeah, I'm, I'm having to temper my expectations for that one a little more than I thought I otherwise would. And I'm realizing that, no, maybe it's probably smart to do that because it I might already not got- not be
1: a movie for us.
0: Yeah, you know, I already got my Spider-Man movie. You know? And, uh, you know, the, the idea that the, the Marble thing is that, that, you know, there are worse things in the world than, you know, the biggest entertainment company on Earth deciding that there are people that can be serviced other than uh, you know, the thirty six year old white man who is going to see their movie anyway. Hey, true, true. So uh so well so I, I hope that goes well. And uh, you know, I mean uh, you know, hey, if if it's not, I can always just uh, you know uh, sit and enjoy anticipation for Justice. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I can't even say
1: it. Were were you attempting to, to mention the fact that there's a Justice Le- <laughs> movie, <laughs> Justice League movie? Yeah, right, we care right. about that. Yeah, there's
0: a Justice League movie coming. <laughs> I what, I, I can't even. You... <laughs> it's no. I I I told you before. I'm not even gonna fucking see it. I'm done. <laughs> You're not you're not like psyched to find out how cyborg fits in. Dude, all I did, like I said, I I won't even see Suicide Squad. I I, I can't I can't do it. You're oh but you, you you've gotta see Suicide Squad so that you can get in on all the jokes with everybody, man. No. This is Katana! She's got my back. I would advise not being killed by her. Her soul traps the her sword traps the souls of its enemies. Oh Jesus. <laughs> oh god it's it's so bad it's so bad you have to you have to see it and get on the same page man sure why not that, that Every, won't be a waste everyone else has suffered through suicide squad that you won't be get a waste of be my time <laughs> well look like if it's if it's on watch it you know sure sure be, you know so that because look when when they eventually start making more batman stuff you know because they are going to force Ben Affleck to do this, whether he realizes it's a bad idea now or not. He
1: was still fine. If there's a good movie to write with him in it, I'll watch it. Why did you say that name? Yeah, again, like I said, <laughs> if there
0: was a good writing. <laughs> All right. All right. We're, we're coming up on the on the, on the the hour and 45 yes, minute mark. We're coming mark. up on so, an hour and
1: 45. Pre, so long and short pre, of it. Pre-editing. I think 4-3 will be great. Yeah, I think, three, I think that's it's a pretty much a guarantee that that's great, and I yeah. think Spider Man, um, we have to wait and see. I don't think there's any world where it will be bad, but I think mm-hmm. it could be just meh.
0: If yeah, if, I, maybe yeah, I, I think I I, I have uh, like like I'll, I'll I'll say again, it is very possible that Spider Man Homecoming will end up being you know the first Marvel movie that uh, that I look at and go. You know what? This one was uh, like—it's not one that I will watch for a bunch of fun again and again and again. But uh, hey, you know, uh, there's like 15-year-olds for whom it's like the greatest thing they ever seen, and I almost kind of want that.
1: There's a place you know? for
0: that. Yeah, you know, I I, I hope that there uh, that that there is that. You know, it's sort of like how, uh, you know, like did you watch through all the way through Luke Cage? No, not yet. I thought, like, narrative-wise, Luke Cage is the most uneven of, of the Marvel Netflix shows. because Even it's, more it's not... uneven
1: than Iron Fist?
0: Oh, Iron Fist isn't uneven at all. It all sucks. Oh, okay,
1: okay, okay. Just checking. Uh,
0: yeah, no, Iron, Iron Fist is is perfectly even in that it's all garbage. Um, you know, whereas Jessica Jones was pretty much all good, and uh, Daredevil was mostly good, but in some ways really not. Uh, you know, Luke, Luke Cage, the, the first season is really, I I think is really good, suffers narratively, but, uh, you know, the stuff that works in it that even I can say, oh, wow, yeah, that, that really works. You know, a lot of my friends who are not, uh, not exactly me in, in relation to, to Luke Cage, Mm -hmm. if you take my meaning. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, um, came away from Luke Cage, you know, saying, Holy shit! Wow, this this means a lot, and that they're you know the the you know the the Luke Cage does is is a show that does not give two fucks if white people like it, and I was really into that about it. That's cool. So so I hope that uh, you know, like I mean, it's it's almost to the extent that I would call it heavy-handed because there's a lot of it where it's like hi, this is the conversation where we're going to talk about uh, black pulp fiction writers. Huh. You know, and, and a lot of, like, you know, a lot of his, historicity about that. And it's like, you know, wow, that... I want to call that heavy-handed, like, writing style, but on the other hand, no other show is heavy-handed about exactly that.
1: Right, and I mean, you know, you know it so much of the rest of geek culture and culture in general gets gets their heavy-handed thing right yeah right you know so why why not have something that just gets to be completely into it you know what i mean and not into it in a way that you know the 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 oddness of like barry gordy's the last dragon right which is heavy-handed it and is exploitative but that's kind of the point
0: you know Uh, you know i i I used to think of that as like sort of like an, an exploitation sort of movie but uh you know uh Subsequently, people for whom that movie meant a lot more. Well, that's to them what I mean. You than know, it did to me. Kind of, you know, kind of turned me around. and said, "No, actually, this is what's being referenced here." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, wow." Right. And you sh- shouldn't they get their movie too? You know, I, know what yeah, I mean? Ex- that's, exa- that's... I, I, yeah. Exactly. I, 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 and I, I like that about it. So I, I hope that Spider-Man: Homecoming is being made for you know kids who are as old as Peter Parker, and that it's not constantly bending over backwards to get an, an old fart Spider-Man fan like me to like it. That's a really good point.
1: They have, they have enough money and enough of the screen used up in this to, to really start branching out that way to kind of do what, to kind of do what Lucas's argument for the shitty star Wars prequels was. (laughs) No, seriously. I mean that, you can't, you can't fault that argument because there are some children who that shit means a lot. And yeah. the, Awesome, cartoon shows they've made based on that mythos make a good case for it. You
0: know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so good on them. <laughs> there the, there's a whole generation that does not hate Jar Jar Binks. Right, and that's fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like my there's, my there's wife
1: a... likes Jar Jar Internet. So send your yeah. hate mail here.
0: Right. Yeah. But I mean, like, not not just in the sense of doesn't hate him, but doesn't know that hating him was some kind of big deal. You know, for them, Jar Jar Binks is like. Max Rebo you know, right why is there a, why is there a blue elephant in uh in in Return of the Jedi because it's right. fun that's why now we really went off on a tangent there but that's okay no, that's fine well that, that's that's okay all right so uh so hey guys this has been another episode of the Chipman Brothers Tangent Podcast uh we really hope you enjoy it um I don't know if we'll be up on iTunes by the time this goes if oh, we I are so. please, please leave a review please do some sharing um wherever you see this posted. Uh, post comments so that my brother can read them. Ah, yes. <laughs> because he, yes, he, he really... I
1: need to hear what you think.
0: Chris, Chris, uh, Chris likes having uh, the comments and stuff. As do I. I think uh, I'm not going to hold a promise to this, but I'm I'm thinking of once an episode has been up for like uh, you know a week to two weeks on the regular service, I will post uh, you know the YouTube version thereof.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah, so that so that people can uh, can you know, view the old ones in, uh, in, in a different way. Uh, until then, uh, you know, thank you folks very much for listening. Please, uh, you know, like, share, subscribe, follow the RSS feed, send this to your friends, post it on Facebook and Twitter. Just, just let everyone know that if you like this, that this is a thing they should be listening to. And, uh, you know, thank you so much. Uh, check out, the uh, the MovieBob Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash moviebob1. Uh, you know, the reason that I get to do side projects like this is because of the, uh, the patronage of, uh, people contributing to that. So please, uh, kick in a few bucks there if you can, if you want to, if you want to hear more. Uh, Chris, do you want to, uh, throw anything into, into the end here?
1: Um, yes. Um, as always, I've been Taserface and thank you
0: for coming along on the tangent. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys very much. We out.